Hey guys, what's up? It's Greg Srizavasti here over at Find Your Film. I'm joined by, obviously, Bruce Perky and Eric Holmes. They're not with me at this moment, but they are basically the heart and soul of this upcoming, this episode you hear or before you, okay? So the last episode that I posted was back in, I think, April 17th. The reason why for the month and a half layoff is, well, number one, every week I do, um, all three of us do, me, Bruce, and Eric, we do the Cinematics podcast where we focus on the new movies that are coming out on a given week. That's one reason. But the biggest reason is within the month and a half for me, I got COVID and that laid me out for about a week and a half. After I got COVID, then there was a leak in my house and the, the, a lot of people, the people had to actually fix the leak, do the flooring and the flooring is still not done, but there's a lot of things that happened within the house, COVID, then the house, and then Strike three for me was after all that, I got a cold. I, there's some kind of bacterial infection going around, around town, literally in LA County. And a lot of people have been getting it. Most of my family, thank goodness, my mom didn't get it so far. And, but so yeah, I've been the last month, month and a half has been sort of crazy. But the good news is we're back. I'm back here over at Find Your Film. There's some three things for this episode, okay? Three things. The first thing will be of, on a selfish note, could be something of your interest. Well, both, hopefully both the other two will be of your interest as well. But if you're a fan of the movie Renfield or you want to see Renfield, you like Nicolas Cage, you like Nicholas Holt, well, for, for U.S. listeners of Find Your Film, I am... I have two digital codes available courtesy of Universal Pictures Home Entertainment. Again, Renfield, I, they sent me two digital codes. It starts working on Tuesday, June 6th. Tuesday, June 6th is the actual date when Renfield comes out on digital, Blu-ray, and DVD. So if you're interested in actually getting into, if you're in the U.S. and if you're interested in getting a chance to win one of these Renfield Blue, Blue, not Blu-rays, one of these Renfield digital codes, there's a link on my Deepest Dream article where you can actually see, you know, it's, you have until June 6th, actually you have, yeah, you have until about June 6th, the end of day, five, five o'clock California time. So if, as long as you enter your request, you live in the U.S., Tuesday, June 6th, 2023 is when, at 5 p.m. is when you can enter your chance to win a Renfield digital Blu-ray. I'm not digital. A Renfield digital code. Yeah, it's been a while. Sorry, I'm stumbling and mumbling. So yeah, two digital codes of Renfield are available up until the end of the day, Tuesday, June 6th. And look, since I've been out about a month and a half, just want to tell you, there's going to be within the next several days, another Find Your Film episode. And in that episode, I'm going to actually have another, a Blu-ray giveaway. This time is with this, it's with this Donnie Yen movie, which I believe is called Sakura. So look out for that in about two or three days, two, three, four days comes out on June 13th. So I'll be talking about that giveaway on the next Find Your Film episode. When we transitioned from the the weekly episode for Find Your Film, I was going to actually make this podcast mainly interviews and they are, and I was going to put interviews as well as physical media coverage. I haven't been doing a ton of physical media coverage here on Find Your Film. So in a way, hopefully these digital Blu-rays, digital codes and Blu-rays are a way for are kind of sort of the physical media coverage, but moving forward later throughout the rest of the year, I'll be doing a lot more Blu-ray and DVD coverage here on Find Your Film, interspersing that them with the interviews that I do and Eric and Bruce do as well. Speaking of Eric Holmes, he has an interview. The first segment up is an interview with the filmmakers behind Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares, the Robert Englund story. If you're a fan of the Nightmare on Elm Street films, of course you know who Robert Englund is. I'm in my early 50s. I remember Robert Englund from V. I think he was in the TV series or maybe the movies. Just... 13-year-old, 14-year-old me. I'm trying to remember. I know he was in V. Hopefully, I'm not wrong in this, but basically, he's best known. He's a character actor, lead actor, best known for those Nightmare on Elm Street films. I'm not going to really talk about it too much because Eric and I talk about it in this first segment. He, he and I do an intro before he does the interviews with the two filmmakers behind, again, Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares, the Robert Englund story. That is segment number one. And then the final segment is 
Bruce Perky is back doing interviews, and this is very cool. This is in his neck of the woods in Alabama. There is a festival called the Southern Fried Film Festival hitting June 8th through 11th. The opening night will be at the Intuitive Planetarium, and the rest of the screenings will be at the Studio Theater at Low Mill. For in coverage of the Southern Fried Film Festival, he interviewed Trevette Willis, the founder and festival director of the Southern Fried Film Festival. So if you live in Alabama, if you're interested, if you're a cinephile, check uh, check out the interview with Bruce, with Trevette Willis, and she talks about some of the movies that are going to be shown at this festival, and I also will have a link to the actual site as well. So that is it. And again, my voice is raspy, and I really, really apologize to it. Let's get to me and Eric Holmes to the, doing the, the intro and the and eventually the interview for Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares, the Robert England story. And then finally, we will close out with Bruce Perky and Trevette Willis talking about the Southern Fried Film Festival. And finally, yes, hit me up for Renfield Digital Codes if you're interested in this giveaway, okay? Thanks again for supporting me, Bruce Perky, and Eric Holmes here on the Find Your Film Podcast. And apologize to people who don't listen to you know, people internationally, I'm going to figure out something, giveaways, maybe to, on a very wide, wide world scale other than the U.S. But for right, right now, the digital codes and the Blu-rays are staying here stateside. But we'll, we'll figure something out down the road. All right, guys. Thanks again. and Take care. Bye-bye. Sorry for the raspy voice. Bye. Hey, everyone. Find your film. We're here. It's me and Eric Holmes. I'm, I'm just blabbering because I'm not doing any work. The real person who's doing work is Eric Holmes because... He's a nightmarish and dreamy kind of guy, and I'm trying to work those two words in because there's a movie, not a movie, I think it's a documentary. It's called Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares, the Robert Englund story. Eric Holmes, what is this? It says it's on Screenbox and digital on June 6th as we're recording this, and it's about Robert Englund, and it's Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares, Robert Englund story. Take it away. Yeah, it's basically a documentary about Robert England and his career as an actor. Um, a lot of it is, you know, with him as Freddy Krueger. Um, but, you know, they talk about his early career as a character actor. And they kind of, when they get to the Freddy Krueger stuff, they talk about like how impactful that was and kind of uh, get it. I, I think the main thrust of this or the most interesting thing about it is, um, Kind of, uh, kind of the double edged sword of having a character that resonated so much with audiences. On one hand, Robert England as Freddy Krueger was a complete success. On the other hand, he's an actor that likes to play different characters that, you know, with the success of, you know, when you have a character that's that iconic, you don't usually get to, you're usually stuck in that lane forever. Um, and not that he's ungrateful for his position. Um, and you, you can learn all this in the documentary, but, uh, it's, it's, uh, look, if you're a fan of Robert England and just acting in general and just kind of that whole thesis of, you know, can you be so famous to where it kind of hurts the art that you want to do? Or does it, you know, as many doors as it opens, it closes a bunch of them as well. Uh, it's just pretty decent, uh, pretty decent documentary. And it did a interview with Christopher Griffiths and Gary Smart, the directors of the Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares, the Robert England story. And uh we had a we had a pretty great conversation about all that stuff. So yeah. Interviewees on this documentary, sorry for interrupting Eric Holmes, include, of course, <laughs> Robert England, Nancy England, Eli Roth, Adam Green, Tony Todd, Tony Bleep and Todd, Lance Henriksen is in this, Heather. Langen Camp or Langen Camp? I, I, I mispronounced your name. Thank you, and Eric yes. Holmes. Lynn Shea, of course. We all love Lynn Shea. Love. Hold on. Let's take a second because okay. anytime okay. Lynn Shea is brought up, we need to pump the brakes and just soak in how great Lynn Shea is and everything. Yes. I love Lynn Shea so much. Probably one of the greatest character actors on the planet, like that's, bar none. Not even not- greatest female character actor. Lynn Shea is one of the greatest character actors on the planet. It's one of those things like she's so great. You need to mention it, or maybe you, you don't even need to mention it. She's so, this is something that should be set in stone regarding Lynn Shea. Bill Mosley. Right? Yes. yes. Right. So they also had um, Mick Garris is on there. Uh, Corey Taylor from Slipknot, which was odd, but apparently he's uh, acting in a movie with uh, uh, Robert England. So that, you know, 
yeah, it's got a it's got a bunch of horror icons and stars. And hey, if you like Slipknot, Corey Taylor's in it quite a bit. And oh. let's not forget Lin Shay. I don't think we mentioned Lin Shay <laughs> yet, but oh, we should do it. So again, let's get to the, these uh, this interview that Eric Holmes had with co-directors Gary Smart and Christopher Griffiths for Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares, the Robert Englund story again, available on Screenbox and digital on June 6th. Eric Holmes, a little bit of final before we go, worth recommending on digital. I know there may be a bias because you did the interview, but yeah. purchase I, I, this movie if or rent it if. Uh, I, I would say, like, because Screenbox did this, and I believe they also did that uh, uh, Living with Chucky documentary. Uh, which, so the, the Living with Chucky documentary had like the whole family angle at the end, and this doesn't quite have this. This goes a different direction, but um, I don't know what Screenbox is doing with all these uh, with all these documentaries. But I'm enjoying them so far, so keep them coming. As far as I'm concerned, um, of course, if you're not into horror or you don't care about Robert England or you don't care about Chucky. Maybe it won't get as much of it, but I mean, if you're on screen box, you give a little bit of a care. I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And again, it's available on digital. So on starting June 6th might be definitely worth it, especially like Eric Holmes said, if you are a fan or you want to learn more about the career of Robert England. So there's a lot of value added stuff, Eric, again, regarding England's life, right? Honestly. Oh, oh yeah. And, and it also kind of, it also kind of highlights like how great of an actor he is and, you know, as great as he was as Freddy Krueger, uh, seeing like going, they have a bunch of older movies he was in, where it's more of the character actor. It's like, man, this, I kind of like to see Robert England play like a, uh, you know, a, a, you know, a grandpa in like a rom com or something. Right. Granted, Robert England would probably be like, I ain't going to be in no rom com or whatever, but you know, it, it, it'd be nice to see him play characters other than Freddy. And he has. Um, but this kind of showcases his acting talents. It kind of makes you want to see what he does outside of the horror genre, for sure. And again, look, I'm you're a, a much more experienced horror enthusiast than I am. Were you even surprised by some of the stuff in this documentary as a, a aficionado? Um, n- not so much, only because it kind of I kind of had a, a inkling of his talents. But at the same time, I pulled up a couple of older movies that he was in that I was like, well, I got to go back and check that one out. So a bunch of them. And Lynch Shea. Let's do a documentary about <laughs> Lynch Shea so I can just pray at the altar of that documentary. That sounds like a great movie pitch, Eric Holmes. So anyways, check out Eric Holmes' interview with, again, filmmakers Gary Smart and Christopher Griffiths for Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares, the Robert England story. Here we go. There are horror icons. There's Freddy, there's Jason, there's Pinhead, there's Chucky. But then there are iconic horror actors. Fasten your seatbelts. I never set out to become a horror icon. Something I wasn't planning, it's just something that happened. Like most actors, you don't realize that this is going to be a life-changing moment. If the guy behind the makeup isn't selling it right, then it doesn't work. Can't have any style of film without having a charismatic person at the helm. He brought so much into Freddy, the way he built Freddy. Robert still managed to make him not just horrific, but likable. That's why you hire an actor. And he's Robert f***ing England, for God's sake. Now that's some prime time. We made a lot of fun of him and what Freddy had become. And it was just really amusing and crazy. There was a huge crowd. They started rocking the trailer. It was scary. I mean, we thought we were going to be tipped over. I didn't know this was so serious. Freddy killed children and he had a television show. And it really appeals to a young audience because they enjoy the rending of these bodies on screen. And so Robert is a de facto uncle to this audience. Mr. Knifey Hands is here right there. I have been to partying with Robert more than I've been reporting with him. I like it. <laughs> here was a guy, as a character actor, could have, I think, done anything. However, having done Freddy, he's iconic, and yet it was oddly limiting for him. And I think assumptions get made about horror actors that they're less than, and it's unfair. I thought a little bit about fighting it. Robert walked in, and I thought, oh, this is just so right. (laughs) I just go to Robert. I need you to play Buckman. I'll only do it if it's hee-haw and acid. Welcome to Pleasant Valley! 
he's hyper aware of what lens is on the camera. What's the, not just what the angle of view, but what's the lens. He's one of those film actors who understands film. Robert as a fellow actor is a dream. He's Shakespearean. Robert Eglin's a great actor. It's as plain as that. I'm here with uh, Christopher Griffiths and Gary Smart, uh, directors of Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares, the Robert England story. I, I've seen you guys have done a lot of these, and you got another one coming out of uh, Robocop, I believe. What brought you into this, and what kind of, uh, you guys seem to have a real passion for these uh, kind of documentaries. Quite honestly, I like, I enjoy watching them. Yeah, no, so do we. You know, we've always been fans, Chris and I, of like behind the scenes featurettes and, you know, you know, back in the day with DVDs, getting onto the bonus features. But obviously we started our career 10 years ago working together, me, Chris and Adam, from Court Screening and Dead Man's Productions. And we did obviously the Leviathan story of Hellraiser and Fright Night. We did Stephen King's It. But we always wanted, and obviously then we've obviously worked on RoboDoc and obviously Peace Academy, things like that. We always wanted to do a, a kind of like project on a person as opposed to a film where we could actually really get inside somebody's head about their career. Because it's great when we do things like Fright Night, we can talk to Tom Holland about Fright Night. But we didn't really, don't really talk about, you know, Psycho 2 and Finner and things like that. So on this one, it was about obviously getting into somebody's head, who's an icon and for us and, and for me, uh, you know, as well. Robert is the ultimate icon of our generation, really, in regards to horror. He's just come on the end of, like, Christopher Lee, and Peter Cushing from the 70s, late 70s, finishing off Hammer Horror. Obviously, I know they went on to do things like you know, Star Wars and obviously Lord of the Rings, Christopher Lee and Gremlins. But in terms of horror icons, obviously, it was it was Robert. And I've been a fan of Robert since I was a kid. So it was just one of those things we had to do. it, And we were absolutely amazed nobody else had done it before. Of Robert, it's so strange that this icon exists and no one's you know done a documentary on him. So it was you know serendipity for us that, it all fight, and we were the ones that got to do it, and you know that was brilliant for us as filmmakers and fans. Yeah, well, one of the things I really appreciate about this is I always thought Robert England was a a great actor, but he's and you guys touch on this in the documentary. He's kind of uh, he's kind of relegated to Freddy Krueger. On one hand, it's a good thing because if you're an actor, that's what you want. You want you know constant work. You want to be known for something. But on the other hand, like I get the sense that he wanted to kind of branch out and try other things and. That's kind of the uh, double-edged sword, isn't it? Yeah. And that was kind of the main dramatic hook I think we found for this project. You know, we Kane Hodder's had his documentary, uh, Danny Trejo, and they've all got like a dramatic hook. Kane with a stunt accident gone wrong, Danny Trejo, you know, prison and everything. And we we constantly kind of talked in the early points of like, okay, well, you know, when I think we first talked about this project, it's like, what what is there to pluck out of Robert's career? You know, and we, and the thing is, if there's no drama. There's no drama. But if anything, if there's a, any kind of hook to this and portraying it, what's the word, in the most honest way possible, is that, like you said, the double-edged sword, the dichotomy of playing such a big icon, limiting you to, you know, just sort of one one thing, really, you know, what you're known for. And I think that's kind of what we've tried to tailor the whole doc around. The, the mission statement was to, let's do anything but Nightmare on Elm Street, but let's accept that it's going to be in there in places and, you know, quite prominent in some respects. But about, you know, we we kind of fashioned that opening and closing with the silhouette of, oh, let's try and be symbolic. I'm sure someone will say, what a bunch of bullshit. But, you know. I, I, I thought it looked good. I thought it looked yeah, good. So just, take take off go. the glove. Um, I think we were kind of like, oh, it'd be cool if it's on a stage. What if he takes off the glove? And that's symbolic that, mm-hmm. you know, he's ready to let go of Freddy for a bit. And then you kind of, you have some dramatic beats throughout the story, you know, of, oh God, what am I doing? Do I really want to do this? Then accepting it. Um, And then kind of coming to terms with it. And then that's why we kind of then put at the end of the dark, like, oh, he walks off and then he grabs the glove. And that's symbolic because he's accepted who he is. So, you know, a bit (laughs) pretentious on our parts doing that. It looks pretty. But um, I think that's what's been quite fun is how do we approach Nightmare on Elm Street? which has already had like a four hour documentary from our friends, Tommy Hudson and Mike Perez, you know, let's, how do we come into Nightmare on Elm Street at a different angle? Let's talk about how it impacted his life. Let's talk about how apeshit it went in the grand scheme of things with pop culture. And also this coming out on screen box and digital. And was this a documentary you guys had previous to screen box or did screen box hire you to do this documentary on Robert England? Like what was the, 
what was the birth of this documentary? Yeah, on our previous docs, like, you know, with Leviathan and with Fright Night, they were all kind of like uh, self-made for our company called Screens Dead Man's Productions and have distributed it by ourselves. And we've licensed them since, obviously, to many, many people who have done bonus features, obviously, on, on those franchises. But, yeah, we, we all set out to do our own projects. And, obviously, you know, there was always an intention that we'd do it ourselves, release it ourselves, and obviously, and, and that would be it. And we obviously engage with Screenbox through our uh, our colleagues, uh, Lawrence Gornall and Hank Starr, who are producers over here. And it kind of, it just kind of stamped a bit of kind of like, you know, uh, how can I put it? Um, made it more legitimacy, yeah, for us really. And I think because it was Robert as well, it had to be really legitimate, obviously, because it's about his career. And it's just, a, a, you know, a global kind of interest in Robert's career. So, yeah, so we obviously, we optioned it to Screenbox and they did a, it was a bidding war actually with a, a couple of other, um, well-known, uh, distributors who wanted it. But we just really felt with Screenbox, again, this is not obviously bigging them up too much, that they kind of got us, you know what I mean? And we had full creative control of the project. Uh, we'd worked with them obviously on Pennywise, uh, we're working with them with on, on RoboDoc as well. But we kind of, we had a lot of interest from, from all other, other distributors. But we kind of felt at home with Screenbox, really. And I think this feels at home with it as well. And they're really going above and beyond regards to the release. You know, it's getting a physical release with exclusive steelbooks. It's getting, obviously, collector's edition releases. It's getting potential, obviously, merchandise from it as well, as well as, obviously, the the streaming. It's been handled really nice. And I think we wanted that for Robert. We were very very, um, sure that we wanted Robert's legacy to be handled in a really kind of professional way. And they've done it for us. So, yeah, so we've kind of, we've we worked with them collaboratively in the post-production of it. Yeah. I, yeah, I, re- I really enjoyed this documentary. And, of course, you guys have Lynn Shea, and she's one of my favorites. So uh, I, I always like to take time to pray at the altar of Lynn Shea. But, uh, but what was it kind of like doing uh, just, uh, not just Lynn Shea, but just uh, doing the interviews in general? It, it must have been, uh, I'm I'm assuming you guys are horror fans, so that just must have been yeah. a great delight. Oh yeah, you got to you got to you got to kind of like switch yourself off a bit when it when it, when someone walks in. Like I think I remember we we had it with RoboDoc. I remember because I'm a big Twin Peaks fan and Ray Wise. And the situation with Lance Henriks on the, on this for me felt very much the same. Where he was 15, 20 minutes late, and Gary and I, you know, typical white paley skinned or red skinned Celts, you know, sort of sitting outside this studio, baking our asses off. It's like, where's Lance? Where's Lance? Is he coming? He's coming. And all oh, the buildup, the nerves you get when these people first rock up. And then you've just got to switch on. You can't, you kind of do automatically switch into like, right, business is business now. But all of them were just so great. And I think plucking out two examples, three actually, Robert included for Gary on his first interview, Lance for me, and um, Eli Roth. I swear to God, it all that happened was, so can you introduce yourself, please? Three hours later, they've pretty much answered everything. You're like, and you know, like, oh, what else do you want to ask me? You're like, um, did you say what your name was? No, <laughs> I know you've just covered everything. Like it was unbelievable. It was surreal, you know, and it was great. Obviously we managed to sort of, you know, uh, give a bit of direction to some of these interviews, but some of them would just go on. And I think it's a testament. It's, you know, you you choose people for a reason and you don't just get in, oh, we'll have this person for face value or this and that. They've all got reasons to be there. You know, I think a friend of mine said, oh, of course you've got Corey Taylor in there. You know, he's in everything, 80s horror doc. But Corey worked with Robert on Fear Clinic. Eli Roth uh, worked on 2001 Maniacs, Mick Garris, Freddy's Nightmares. So the beauty is, and it showcases that these people who were chosen, when they sit down, they do their interview and there's very little direction you have to give them. You're like, that's why you were chosen to be in this. So, but yeah, I mean, it's you, you, you pinch yourself afterwards. I think you're like, holy shit, I just sat down with Bishop from Aliens or something like that. You know, it's, but when you're in the moment, you kind of forget yourself a bit. And then afterwards, you're like, oh, I wish I kind of absorbed that more at the time. But you're more focused on, you know, the, the job comes first in this instance. But, you know, don't get me wrong. Every time we're watching something like Murder She Wrote now, me and my wife or something, or, you know, fuck aliens. I was like, oh, look, it's my mate. She's like, no, it's not your mate, babe. You just interviewed him. So uh. <laughs> I also got the sense that like Robert England kind of enjoys the fame, but to someone uh, coming at you saying, hey, we're going to do a documentary about you. Was there any sort of trepidation or pushback or was he just all in or like, because like, 
you know, you, you watch a doc on someone and you just kind of take it for granted. But like, if someone came to either of you two guys, like if I came to you guys and said, I'm doing a documentary about you, you'd be like, yes, uh, what? <laughs> Why? <laughs> oh, God. Um, let's get those skeletons out the closet. Yeah. He, he the, obviously the first conversation we had with him about the doc, he was quite clear that he would, he, I think he said something along the lines, if this is a documentary about Freddie, I'll give you an interview, no problem. But if it's about my career, I will be fully engaged, you know, and, and that's that's how we pitched it anyway. We pitched it very much. This is going to be about the man behind the glove, basically. It wasn't just about Freddie. And Robert said, I understand Freddie's important, but obviously, and he's going to be in it, but hopefully you'll explore other stuff. And he gave us a list of films, what he wanted us to explore. And I think, you know, when we first met him, obviously, properly for the interview, we obviously met him in London, we had a meal with him, and we met, went to meet him, in, obviously, at his house in Laguna Beach. And I think when we met him there, he was very programmed. You know, we, I asked one question, and literally, as Chris said, three hours later, he finished his whole career. And it was very kind of, oh, I don't know, it was so overwhelming had we got what we wanted. By the time we got to interview three and four, we interviewed him four times, he was very relaxed with us. He got to know us. And I think he was a lot more talking about his personal life and about he's kind of like, you know, the, the whole issues around the double-edged sword of being Freddie, the curse and the blessing. So I think we pitched it very much. It was about your career and it's not just about Freddie. Then as we moved along, it, it, we became really friendly with him and Nancy and they became very comfortable with us and opened up to us. And I think, you know, when you're getting text messages off them and, you know, Robert's phone you on a, you know, on a Friday evening just because he forgot something about, you know, he hadn't mentioned something, in, you know, in, in the cut or can we just look at this bit and change this bit possibly or did he say the right thing? That relationship really builds and it's really strong. So, yeah, so at start it was very much a, a job, you know, we loved him. He didn't know us. He embraced us in a, to a degree and allowed us into his life. Well, then I think he fully then accepted us as, as as film fans, if anything. And, you know, we're both film fans. And Adam, our, our partner, is a film fan as well. I think when he knows it's not about making money for us, and it isn't, you know, this is because we love these people, uh, you know, and, and it's become a career for us to a degree, but it's about our love for, for the genre. They know when, you, when you're not taking the piss, basically. They know when you're being serious, and it's not just about ticking a box. Yeah, because it's questions you ask, you know, and it's the the stories you want, and you go in there without a bit of paper, you know what you're going to ask them, and you know how to you know, segue to answer and questions because you've done your research. And I think he appreciates that. Well, speaking of segues, and uh, like uh, Robert doesn't only want to talk about uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, I'm sure you guys don't only want to talk about Hollywood dreams and nightmares. I saw your dog Diddy's specifically the offer. Um, <laughs> That was fantastic. And I've never heard of Dark Diddies before this week. So what can you oh. say about that? Uh, I, I know that uh, you can rent the episodes individually for like $1.99 yeah. on uh, Amazon. But uh, the offer was fantastic. And I'm looking forward to uh, checking out the rest of them. What what can you tell me about Dark Diddies and kind of how that got started and just your involvement in that? I think it started because we we both wanted to do some narrative. I think we've done a lot of documentaries ourselves uh about other people's work and we'd been to i remember we went to a uh, fright fest in london we were invited there to do a screening i think or something like that, about fright night and i remember sitting there thinking we could do this you know all these people are queuing up and lying up in the red carpet and we both have lots of ideas so obviously we, me and chris obviously engaged a chap called neil morris and we kind of worked with him on the offer and chris was really heavily involved in the offer directing that episode and, you know, it, it came as kind of like our labour of love of film, really. And, you know, it's it's got its faults. You know, it's, it's seven years old now, that episode is. Um, and then Chris came on board now, obviously, for the later series, executive producer. So, you know, Chris, obviously, has been concentrating on the, on the documentaries, but he's very much, obviously, part of the company. So, you know, we've developed the series and COVID kind of killed it a little bit for us, like it did with everybody else. You know, we got to episode five. We wanted to do episode six to finish the series off. But basically, it's a horror anthology series with uh, individual episodes that are all different, but there's a narrative thread going throughout. It's, it's kind of like, it's going back, arcing, arcing back to the old kind of, you know, uh, British kind of like, you know, um, Tales from the Unexpected and, you know, that kind of things, you know. So it, it's kind of labour of love for us, really. It was a little kind of bit of an outlet for us at one stage. Um, but again, it's kind of been put on the back burner a little bit because because of the docs. The docs have just literally got so kind of big in terms of our relationship with Screenbox. Uh, obviously, we've got Pennywise, 
just come out. Obviously, this one we're working on post, just finished post, obviously, and deliver delivering Robodoc was a four part series. We've got another two parts of that series to do, series season two and three, which Chris is managing completely. Uh, and obviously, we've got Police Academy as a, as a four part series coming out. So it's kind of it, it's been great to have a little bit of an outlet on narrative, but we're kind of stuck with documentaries again at the moment. But I do appreciate you looking, you know, because they just sit there a little bit on Amazon and, you know, and it's nice people find them, to be honest. And they're there to be found. And there's a lot, you know, we enjoy when people appreciate them. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to checking out. The, I just watched the offer. It was the only one I've seen so okay. far. And it, it was really great. And it kind of kind of was uh Felt like a throwback to like the Masters of, I mean, you guys interviewed Mick Harris, but like the Masters yeah. of Horror kind of anthology. And anthology is like, there's something to say about shorts because they get in, they get out, they tell the story and it's like really, yeah. really good. They're not bloated and they're really fun to watch. No, it's really, but when we did it, nobody was in anthologies when we did it. It was like, we were told anthology's dead, don't, don't bother. And now it's like huge anthologies are. Uh, and, and shorts become massive, you know. We've got a friend just in a, in a short who, uh, one of our obviously actually cinematographer on this on uh, Richard Jackson and he's doing really well with that and it's just it's great to see people doing narratives I know that me and Chris want to work on narrative together uh, something different to the ditties one day but once we get all this done and we've made all these contacts now and that's what the ditties came from the contacts we've made on Hellraiser but I think now we've obviously developed as filmmakers and we've worked collaboratively together recently more than ever on this project i think we we do actually work really well together me and chris despite we have lots of arguments and, and tantrums we, <laughs> i was gonna say the yeah. offer i've just got yeah. ptsd yeah the offer yeah don't mention I mean, that but go on. one thing i'll say is the offer was executed actually filmed with the exception of some extra stuff i think gary did that bulk of that whole thing was shot in about 48 hours. Yeah. And by the end of it, you knew it was done in 48 hours. I think uh, apart no, from the- no, I didn't. Go in. Please yeah. go on. We were, yeah, we were. Um, I mean, if yeah, I mean, as Gary said, I went, I got promoted from director to executive producer. That said something about my talents. <laughs> but I mean, we, it was almost like we were young and dumb at that point. But um, yeah, I mean, because Gary had primarily done the writing and then he's like, oh, you want to direct? So I'll direct. And Oh man, like yeah, cool. First opportunity, but so many people, yeah, in one space, and people have been in Hellraiser, and some of the younger actors, and right, oh, we got to do this, and think trying to think continuity was one of the worst things. And I think actually, I remember I lost, <laughs> I lost my handful of storyboards uh, the first hour of the shoot. So I was like, fuck, remember, remember, oh, I've got a photo I sent to someone on Messenger. Let's just do that. So it was fro- it was a real kind of like uh what's call it jump into the deep end of filmmaking and then as gary said because of my becoming the executive producer it was like right i'll get back on to getting this backlog of documentaries through the door but in all honesty as gary said we've n- not been worked as close together despite working with each other <clears throat> in the 10 years Hollywood Dreams was really where we were sat in here. The place still smells of him right now. Uh, (laughs) Literally sat here like till four in the morning, making dramatic different changes and edits to this documentary in the space of a couple of weeks till four in the morning to get it over the line for Sitches last year. And with this, we've obviously shot some, um, in fact, Neil Morris, the writer of Dark Ditties is actually in the documentary playing that chat show host that Robert met as a kid. And, um, He's the um, silhouette at the beginning and end as well. <laughs> nice. Well, so, it, it, it's been a pleasure having you guys on, and uh, I, I hope you come back for a Robo Doc. And if uh, Dark Diddy's comes out, I, I will have watched all of them by then. But, uh, <laughs> but you, you guys were a great pleasure to have on here. And no, no, thank, thank you, you for we joining me. You. We appreciate you. Thank you. All right, everybody. We are here with Travit Willis. Hello. Hello. And I believe your title, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, your title is Director of the Southern Fried Film Festival for 2023. Is that correct? It's Executive Director and Founder. Executive Director and Founder. Okay, I got to give you more titles. <laughs> you like the Khaleesi in uh, <laughs> exactly. Game of Thrones. <laughs> exactly. Anything else I need to know? Mother of Dragons. Excellent. <laughs> okay, I will not cross you. Um <laughs> So uh, we're going to be mostly just talking about this year's Southern Fried, and Fil- Southern Fried Film Festival. It's a, it's a mouthful for me. And also um, just the film festival in general, because I think you've been a part of it since its founding, right? Yes. yes. So I guess start um, there. Start there. Tell us a little bit about the film festival, like in general, and also this year and 
what brought you to it and all that good stuff. Okay. A little history. Um, we started um, the festival in 2018. Um, we didn't have a festival in 2019 because in my, uh, I have many hats. So not only am I executive director of the film festival, I'm also a producer. And so um, I produce and um, excuse me. <clears throat> and so um, we, I was producing a film um, in 2019, so we didn't have it in 2019. Um, we were able to pivot in 2020 and 2021 during the pandemic and have free drive-in um, festival. And then um, 2022, last year, we went back into a theater and then we also did kind of like a hybrid. So we had some outdoor screenings and then we went back indoor. And then this year um, we're fully indoors because um, it's Alabama summer, so I don't know how it's going to turn out. We were we were super lucky last year. Um, there was it was not super hot, so <laughs> I didn't want to press my luck two years in a row. So for the locals like myself, uh, most of the screenings this year are at Low Mill. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And opening night is at the Intuitive uh, Planetarium at the Space and Rocket Center. Excellent, excellent. Um, and as someone who came from the Northwest, where we had lots of independent cinema, and you yourself have a lot of history in New York, I do believe, yes. um, you may even be talking about the 40-year-old version, possibly, from 2019, <laughs> if we want to drop oh, some, something yes. there. The 40-year-old version <laughs> is still on Netflix, people. Go check that out. All right. Anyway, just throw that your way, too. Uh, <laughs> as someone who... Two people who come from places that have a pretty robust independent film community to North Alabama, where I now live. I believe you live here too. Um, we are have a very big um, drought of independent cinema availability. So how does that passion for you, like what, what do you see? So obviously the, the festival itself brings that to the, the people here. Right. But do you even see beyond that? Like, what is your vision for like independent cinema in North Alabama? Um, well, I'm I'm not a full time resident here. Um, okay. I live in LA. Um, I still live in New York, LA, and then I come here several times a, a year okay. um, to to work on the festival, but also to see my family. Um, and so, in terms of independent cinema, it's interesting because there are cinemas here. The the major cinemas here do play independent films because there's some films that I wanted to show, but they were playing already here and I couldn't play them in my festival, like how to blow up a pipeline, you know, um, seen it. Polite, Good. Excellent. Yeah. P- Polite society came out. They were able to show it here. You know, there's some really good things that are in the festivals this year that I wasn't even last year, everything everywhere all at once played at a cinema and, and mind you, it's one, it doesn't have a long stay and it's not promoted. And I think that's what's missing in terms of um, North Alabama. And so what I would like to do eventually is figure out a way to be more year round um, and have a year round home so we can show the smaller films and support them in terms of letting people know that they're actually there. Cause you know, I don't even think people even know polite society played here. So, yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I personally had to drive both of my kids to the opening day of everything everywhere all at once. I'm in Athens. So that's about, a, about almost an hour drive each way. And I'm like, well, we got it. We got to make it over to that one. Um, yeah. And I was right. I made a yeah. choice on that one. But, but even <laughs> then um, they, they almost have to be like, they have to be a 24. They have to somehow breakthrough a little bit but yeah pipeline i'm surprised that made it uh so that brings us to this festival and some of the things people should be excited about this festival and i will personally attest because i've already seen two of them i've seen linoleum it's in it's in one of my top lists for the year so far i kind of keep an ongoing list as the year goes and i have seen perused it (laughs) i have seen joyland also an excellent excellent film so do you, uh, who curates? How does the curation go for this festival? So we have a, um, a committee. We have a programming committee. And so what we do is we also have a way of people submitting through Film Freeway. For, so we have a submission process. And then we also 
we're kind of a best of festival type of film festival. So we look at what's played Tribeca last year because Tribeca now, since the pandemic, falls the same weekend as my festival or our festival. <laughs> it's not mine. It's yours. You own it. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. We're a nonprofit. So, um, so uh, of our festival. And, um, and so now I just can't get the last minute titles from <laughs> Tribeca. So I, I'm generally a year out. And then um, we look at Sundance and South by, and then we look at other, regional festivals that are a bit bigger to see what's played there as well. And so then, you know, we ask the filmmaker if we can, you know, look at a screener and if they will allow us to have it because we're a budding film festival. Um, it's hard to get some of the bigger films, but lately I've been able to sweep one or two here and there um, in the last couple of years. So that's been pretty cool. Yeah. That yeah, I think last year you had a uh, Fire of Love, and that yeah. that that became kind of a big buzz buzz movie. Um, tell me about yeah. some movies. Well, put it this way: in past festivals, what movies have really struck you? Like, wow, we had that movie. And then this year, I don't want you to pick favorites, but what should people <laughs> be excited about from this year's festival? So, a couple, two or three from the last fest- previous festivals that you just absolutely adored, and then some things about this festival people should be aware of. I can list them all if you want, but I mean. <laughs> I would probably for you, you, yeah. Um, I, you know, I just, I love last year's programming, I think. And I was very lucky to get some things that hadn't shown in North Alabama or here in Huntsville yet. And so I was super excited. Fire of Love was one of them, right? Like having that as the opening night film and it took, and the process for a small festival like mine is very hard. It's, I, I got it two weeks before I screened opening night. Like I went through so many films and got so many no's from big films. And so, and, and I mean, big indie films. Right. Right. And, right. and so it was, it was, it was very hard because this was, you know, the programming committee can only do so much. And then we have to just keep going after distributors, seeing if they would allow their films to play in our, budding festival right so um fire of love was one um i love sirens um from last year i think the sleeper was poser i love poser and i think it's a really good film um i would suggest people see it because it's what indie should be it's you know it was made in columbus ohio it was small budget but and it's youthful but it gave you that sense of indies from, you know, the nineties. So I, I just really, really adored it. Um, this year, um, the opening night film, of course, um, mm-hmm. I, once I saw it was listed on, you know, uh, Sundance, I just went after it because it was just the perfect film for Huntsville. Right. Um, so the longest goodbye, um, And also the closing night film. Um, The closing night film is Little Richard. Um, Lisa Cortez, the director, I know her. So she also has a film at Tribeca. And I was hoping to do maybe, I don't know what I wanted to do, but I just reached out because her film at Tribeca is called The Space Race. And it's about Mm. black astronauts. And I was like... She has two films that are so Huntsville. Oh, yeah. Little absolutely. Richard's Buried Here and, you know, Black Astronaut. So I emailed her and she was like, well, do you want to show Little Richard? And I was like, well, yes, I do want to show Little Richard. So, so um, that one is another one. And one that I just think is so progressive and so unique is a documentary called This World Is Not My Own. And it's about the artist Nellie Mae Rowe. And it's just so good. Um, and how they use claymation. And it's yeah. just, it's great. Yeah. That's it's great. flagged. That's flagged on mine too. I have to work a bunch. so I can't see all of the, the films. And I've seen two. I'm lucky. So I don't have to pick those. Yeah. I've already seen them. But uh, of all the ones I've starred, and I, they all look really cool. I, there's a lot of variety here. For people who don't, don't go to the site yet, you should go. Because they have like, you know, um, family 
kind of oriented ones. And then they have dramatic narrative ones and then a bunch of documentary ones. And I had definitely starred all three that you listed were starred on mine among a couple others. <laughs> Unfortunately, I Which can't make the other ones. Uh, well, Black Barbie is, is on my radar as oh, well. Oh, it's really good, yeah. Um, I would like to see The Lonely Castle in the mirror, but I, there's no way I can make it to that. I think yeah. I, you don't care about my schedule. I, I can, I'll I make it to I care about the schedule. <laughs> I, I, I love to hear what a, you know, a cinephile feels about. Yeah, I, know, I would have picked a couple of the other program. ones. Yeah, yeah, I would have picked the other ones that I've already seen because they're, they're awesome too. Um, but uh, The Longest Goodbye for sure is on my list. The World is Not My Own uh, just struck out to me because I love documentaries, yeah. but it definitely looked to be really interesting in presentation and subject matter, which for it me is, is a, a double win. I mean, it could just be a, a great documentary with people talking is, is fine. Right. But when it has that extra sauce, that's like, wow, great. That, and it does. It is saucy. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. It looks really good. And Little Richard, I mean, that's just a no-brainer. I mean, come on now. What are you going to do? Oh, wow. It is such a great documentary. And I'm just so lucky to have it. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to that one for sure, too. Yeah. Um, so, I, I have to look at my notes. I'm forgetting what I was going to say to you. Um, <laughs> oh, yes. So, this is kind of off the subject a little bit. But, um, and I think I'd, I'd message this to you guys. Um, we do a weird thing every week. But it also allows you to tell people about movies you love. We do a little box. We have a literal box and <laughs> listeners and actually filmmakers, believe it or not, filmmakers have put stuff in this box too. Cause uh, Greg and, and Eric, my co-hosts, they do a lot of interviews, lots of interviews. They'll be interviewing people that I'm like, Oh my gosh, you interviewed that person, Jim Cummings. Oh my gosh. All kinds of people. <laughs> and uh, they'll ask them to put a movie in the box. And all it is, is I literally will pick a slip of paper out each week for a movie I'll watch that I haven't seen. Or maybe I have seen, but it's been a long time. But usually it's something that you you love it, but you don't hear much about it. I'm guessing you have a lot of those. Um, I know it's like putting you on the spot, but some movie that you think doesn't get talked about enough or doesn't get seen enough. I don't know. I mean, I just, if I go back to the films that I've shown, and I was kind of thinking about that. And Yellow Rose, I don't know if you saw that one, but Yellow Rose is the one that I just, I saw it on the plane. I had already did like, and it was the, the, during the pandemic, I was traveling for work. It was 2021. I had picked the two films that we were going to show the two nights at the drive-in. And then for some reason, I just decided to watch Yellow Rose on the plane. And I was going cross country twice, three times actually, I think, because I had to go to California back, no, twice. And um, I watched it both times. <laughs> That's a good sign. And I cried, a bald cry both times. And so then I was just like, nope, we're going to play this. And um, because during the pandemic, we were thinking of, doing things that were kind of tried to get four quadrant films. Like that's for everyone, like, mm -hmm. you know, kids to adults, but we couldn't, um, it was just really hard to find, you know, something that fit everybody. Um, that wasn't already like, you know, something that people always see like Harry Potter or dogs or something like that. So right. in the indie world. And so I just picked it. And so then I reached out to the director and one and had her do a panel, a virtual panel. And even that was wonderful. So I am a fan. I'm a fan of hers. And she has a documentary that's coming out uh, that's similar to This World Is Not My Own in terms of how did they tell the story in a different way. And I think she uses puppets. Mm. It's so It looks so you good. You had me at puppets. I <laughs> I'm a fan and of puppets. And it's a doc. And so it's really, really good. Um, but Yellow Rose is the one I would say. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. It's a, it's a great indie film and it should be talked about much, much more. It is going it just into so the happened. box. It, it <laughs> fell during the pandemic. So she didn't get the push. Oh, there's so many of those too. So yeah. many movies you saw and you're like, oh, big movies and small movies, but so many movies yeah, like, yeah. feel so bad because, or you hear... Yeah. You, you look at the IMDb line and it says uh, 
2019 and you see it in 2022 and you're like, what, what, what happened there? Right. It's like, oh, pandemic happened there. Pandemic, so. ha- pandemic happened there. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, hers fell right there because it was picked up by Sony Picture Classics, I think. And yeah. So absolutely off the topic, but not is you. What, what brought movies to you? Like what makes you love movies? What? happened in your life (laughs) (laughs) that is a good question what happened in my life Um, we all i mean i think we're in the same boat us right i mean uh, (laughs) crazy cinema movie lovers something happened to us in a good way hopefully but all right tell me um i actually did not it was sports was my love like i loved watching sports and i wanted to figure out how to work in sports in some capacity and so um an ex-boyfriend of mine he went to film school at Florida State, and I was working um, for the Florida Marlins, now the Miami Marlins at the time. And so um, every time he would shoot something, I would go up. Um, my first job uh, was I was uh, catering and craft table. <laughs> so <laughs> Hey, and, <laughs> no shame in that. Exactly. And so, you know, also, I guess, executive producer, because I paid for everything. Well, so yeah. there. <laughs> you brought the money. <laughs> I brought the money. <laughs> and so from there, um, it was just little by little, just being on set and feeling the energy. And, and so I think that's what it is for me, is that I love people with vision and ideas, and I'm there to kind of help facilitate that. Either it's through me as a producer and how I can gather resources for them or me being able to just provide that resource, which is a, um, i.e. money or something like that. Right. But, but when was that? Did you have a moment you're in that progression? So say it's progression, you sports and that mm-hmm. kind of love. And then you kind of found yourself like a lot of us do, right? We find ourselves mm-hmm. kind of falling into what becomes our life, which is kind of interesting how that happens. But, um, Was there a moment when you were watching a movie, whatever that movie might be, and you felt like, wow, this is actually changing me. This is, this is impacting me in a way I never would have expected. Could be silly. Profound. It's crazy because I haven't had a movie watching experience. I had a Mm -hmm. movie, like movie making experience. And that's what, you know, when I first started in terms of, doing film full time, you know, I was very much into social issue driven films Mm -hmm. and I wanted to make films that would change people and change the world. And so that's kind of, you know, um, I did two, um, LGBTQ films. And even though I'm an ally, I wanted to support the vision of the filmmakers. And, you know, I remember my first, um, introduction to a filmmaker and we were at a filmmaker magazine party and um he was he was like he's making this film he he had credit cards and he was going to make this film whether i came on board or not but we clicked and he was just like and what clicked for me to want to produce for him was him saying that there were no black gay films out for him the last one was five years previous which was this film called brother to brother and that there wasn't anything and so i was like what (laughs) exactly exactly and so it was like you know what i'm going to help him and so this was 20 20 oh seven you know we did this in you know 2007 and we made this film and um it, it was, I knew that I was d- doing something that meant something. And then from there, it kind of veered on up. <laughs> and that is what you're talking to is what I, some of the things I love about movies. Sometimes I just want to be entertained. Sometimes I just want to get a ride, you know, yeah. but there's that empathy machine ability of movies. The movie movies can like a great novel or a great play or great music, but it's, but movies, I think in some way it's really unique that they can put you in to a world that is not your own, which for North Alabama, 
could be a very, very valuable thing. So something like doing yeah. a, a film festival that actually uh, presents other voices, I think. Yeah. Uh, a movie like Joyland, which I don't know if you've seen exactly. Joyland yet, but a movie like Joyland or, you know, a variety of different kinds of movies that, that are on this this list. Uh, hopefully people will allow themselves to go into a world that they don't necessarily exist in on an everyday basis. And it'll give them, if nothing else, a small view or if better yet, a change of heart, <laughs> hopefully. Or a conversation. If nothing yeah. else, yeah. let's have a dialogue. And yes. it, it, you know, for me with our, with our festival, it doesn't have to change, but at right. least if you're open to have a conversation, that's a great step. Right. Change is an amazing step, but <laughs> conversation is baby, a great step. <laughs> baby steps sometimes with people. Yes. Even just, yeah, even just uh, having them take the chance to consider another point of view sometimes is, is very helpful. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, I know that, for example, I, uh, now I'm just talking to you. Um, <laughs> for example, I'll hear people say like, oh, well, I didn't watch that because I have to read subtitles or whatever. And it's such a weird idea to me because I think I can't think of a week that goes by where I had I haven't watched a movie that's has subtitles. <laughs> it's well, you know, for me, I think because the way we're doing sound now for television and for movies, I can't hear dialogue. Right. And so I have to have the subtitles on regardless it's become a thing <laughs> it's, it's a become thing. a thing like, yeah where people do that all the time now the action the action is too loud the dialogue is too low and it's like what is happening in the sound mix i don't understand and so i so i don't understand people who don't <laughs> yeah. want to read because well, like i have to when parasite regular, won. <laughs> yeah. when parasite won and the people saying like oh yeah but that's a you know quote foreign film you know right that <laughs> you're like oh boy i see where you're coming from dude but um <laughs> i mean yeah uh, hopefully yeah hopefully that's going by the wayside okay yeah slowly, slowly. back to the festival <laughs> so when is the festival happening where are people going to find information about it and um what do you want people to know so we can get uh ears and eyes out there to to see some of these great films that you've programmed um it's june 8th through the 11th um, opening night is June 8th. Um, it will be at the Intuitive Planetarium, um, June 9th through the 11th. It will be at the Studio Theater at Lone Mill. Um, you can catch the rest of the programming there. We'll also have panels there. Um, and yeah, we'll have things for everyone. Um, the films, you know, they range, like you said earlier, you know, we have narratives docs and family-friendly fair so we have something for everyone and what about those people who so great everyone wants to buy their tickets come out be part of the scene do that do the whole thing what about those people that are like well boy i'd love to do that but i i, I really support this i want this to grow and they want to mm -hmm. contribute in another way how can they do that um there's several different ways to contribute um we love for volunteers please, you know, go to the website. There's um, a space on the website for people who want to volunteer if they want to um, ask about how to donate or sponsor. So those are the different ways that people can su support. And we're looking for all the ways. Um, and then just come out, tell people, you know, spread the word. That is the biggest thing. You know, the, the one thing that we're able to do this year is bring filmmakers to the festival. So, you know, we'll have the filmmaking team and act and subjects from The Longest Goodbye there. So we'll have former astronaut Katie Coleman, her son, the producer and the director from the film. Um, Black Barbie, we'll have the director. Um, for Little Richard, we're talking to some former bandmates who will be on a panel afterwards. And... Um, where else are we? Oh, and the producer for This World Is Not My Own will be um, uh, there as well. So we're really, really excited about... Oh, and the Electric Sleep. Electric Sleep. Um, the director, that block, um, the 72 Experience, 
and the elective sleep is like a local block. So um, Theo Brown, it went to Oakwood and um, he made this film and the seven, two experience is Cody Gover and he is local. So we have a local block as well. So it's, it should be fun. Excellent. Hopefully in years, years coming, there'll be more and more um, Southern and Alabama representation in some of these independent films. I mean, last year, when the Academy Awards was an Alabama native. So what the heck? Exactly. It can exactly. happen. Exactly. It and then happen. even if you don't win an award, make good films. Exactly. It, it'll come in. I'll play them. <laughs> All right. Well, I just want to thank you so much for your time, Trevit. Um, thank you. Hopefully uh, I will see your smiling face when I'm wandering around and doing the, doing whichever screenings I'm able to make it to maybe with one of my kids or both of my kids. We'll see. I'm going to, See if I can drag them along. I drag them so many movies. They're probably going to be like, no, dad, please no. (laughs) I think they'll enjoy these, though. (laughs) I think they will, too. Well, it was a joy uh, talking with you. And I hope that this festival goes swimmingly. And I hope that future festivals are even, even better. Thank you so much. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. Bye.